you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. It's our practice here at Grace Fellowship to uh, work our way through whole books of the Bible. Uh, And so we have been working our way through the book of Acts, which is a a story uh, of the, uh, it's it's an early story, it's the story of the early Christian church, uh, of what Jesus continued to do after he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Um, and last week uh, we saw Paul. So, so Paul and his friends are making their way around the Mediterranean Sea carrying the good news of Jesus. This is their second trip. Uh, and last week we saw them in the city of Berea where they were actually well received. And yet, uh, so those, the, the people who received them at first listened to them gladly, eagerly, but not blindly. Right? They, they took the message that they heard from Paul and they went back to their scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, to verify and to make sure that what Paul said was true. Um, but as we've also seen repeatedly throughout Acts, not only are there people who love the gospel, but there are also people who hate it. And so troublemakers come from the nearby city of Thessalonica uh, and they stir up trouble for Paul and Paul has to leave in a hurry. Uh, so while, Paul, uh, while Timothy and Silas remain in Berea, Paul is carried to the city of Athens. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 17. I'm going to start reading in verse 16 and go through verse 34. Let's give attention to God's word. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For, we, for you bring some strange things to our ears. And we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, 
We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding and applying it. Our gracious King, Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in the form of your Son, Jesus, and also in this, your Word. God, we pray that you would help us to behold wonderful things in it, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I can still see uh, the billboard. It was a it was a double decker. I don't think it's I don't think it's there anymore. This has been some twenty years, uh, and the bottom billboard was actually an announcement, an advertisement for the uh, the local adult movie store, and the top billboard, the one directly above it, um, looked like this, and I imagine that it was probably intentionally placed there, though I can't be sure. But it looked just like this. the The background was all flames. And right in the middle of that billboard, in all caps and in big white letters, said this, Hell has no thermostat. And that was all it said. No number to call. No questions to ask. uh, No scripture passages or anything like this. Just simply, Hell has no thermostat. And I, I still wonder... If there were any men or women ashamed, feeling the weight of their guilt, their brokenness, addicted, I wonder how many of them actually saw that sign and said, hmm, God wants me. God's after me. I need to go find God. I don't imagine, at least... It wouldn't drive me to do that. It would drive me away. Now, I want to assume that the person who paid for the billboard uh, had the best of intentions, and maybe it was more effective than I imagine it was. But I think Paul shows us a better way here in this passage as he approaches uh, the city of Athens and he takes Jesus into Athens, or rather Jesus takes Paul into Athens a 21st century America has much in common with first century Athens, right? It's a, uh, Athens was a place of diverse religious viewpoints. Uh, it was a place of competing philosophies of life. There were lots of people in Athens. Uh, you probably have heard of Athens as a, a city of great history, of great learning and philosophy and wisdom. In many ways, the, the cradle uh, of Western civilization, at least part of it, um, Two of the rival 
philosophies that Paul confronts there. We said he, uh, where Luke tells us that he meets the Epicureans and the Stoics. And so if you're an Epicurean, uh, you would believe that the gods were, were distant, uh, that they were unconcerned, that they were, they were far off, uh, that, that, that life is random. Life just happens randomly. There is no afterlife. And so the, the goal of the Epicurean is to pursue pleasure above everything else. Right? Detach yourself from the, the pain of life by pursuing pleasure. That was the Epicurean. And then if you were a Stoic, you would be right the opposite. Uh, the Stoics believe that God was actually in everything. Uh, something like a, a world soul. That God was in everything and that life proceeded according to fate. And so the way, the way that you dealt with life is by doing your duty. By being disciplined, by neglecting pressure, pleasure, right? by, by pursuing uh, self-reliance. That was how you coped with life's difficulties. Do either of those philosophies sound familiar to you? They're still alive and well with us even today and, and many, many more. And as we're going to see, Paul speaks to that and even directs us how we can speak to that, right? Just like in Athens, we live in a pluralistic world. Even in Clanton, little old Clanton, Alabama, we live in a pluralistic world, right? Multiple religious ideas, complete competing views of life. How does Jesus come into that? Well, let's look at Paul's approach, and I want to look at his approach via three words observe, connect, and call. Observe, connect, and call. The first thing Paul does is he observes. Look at verse 16. Paul isn't idle uh, while he's waiting for his friends, uh, but he, he begins going around the city, and he doesn't even act uh, like some kind of happy-go-lucky tourist, though I imagine there were plenty of things to see and enjoy in Athens. No, what verse 16 tells us is that Paul's spirit is provoked within him. Uh, that word provoke, uh, I think of, of poking the bear, right? Paul is, is instigated, he's stirred up, he's incited, he's upset. He's provoked by what he sees, right? Because what he sees is a city full of idols. That phrase, full of idols, uh, literally, it's, it's a unique word. It only occurs here, uh, and it literally means underneath idols, and so you could say that the city of Athens was submerged or drowning in idols. And Paul sees this, and he is provoked. That, that word provoked, it's the same word that God uh, uses to describe himself in the Old Testament. And when his people leave him, the people that he's saved, that he's called his own. Uh, Zach mentioned this earlier in our call to confession, right, that, that they would... Leave him and they would worship other gods and God would be provoked. He would say, you provoke me to jealousy. Now, jealousy, uh, that, that word, that's, uh, that's actually the word that caused Oprah Winfrey to reject uh, the, her church upbringing in Christianity. Uh, she would say, what brought, what, why does God have to be jealous? So let's talk about that. Jealousy, that doesn't, that's, we usually don't talk about that emotion in a, in a positive way. And indeed, it's not a positive word if by jealousy you mean 
uh, wanting something or someone that belongs to somebody else. Right? If you jealously want your friend's toys or you jealously want her physique, well, that's, that's, that's called coveting. That's wanting something that God doesn't, hasn't given you. Uh, and yes, that is wrong. But if by jealousy, right, there is a good sense to the word jealousy. Uh, if someone invades your marriage uh, or intrudes in your home, well, then you're jealous to protect what is your own. You are jealous to protect your marriage. You're jealous to protect your family. That is a righteous jealousy. And when God is provoked, it is because his honor, his rightful honor is being spent on false gods. And so that's what, that's what Paul is feeling as he sees the city drowning in idols, right? He has a, he has a spiritual sensitivity to the world around him, right? He's observing, uh, he's contemplating, right? He's making mental notes. He's not, just, he's not just passively bringing it all in, right? He's not just a passive consumer, but he's, he's looking and he's observing and he's making discerning judgments, right? What Paul is doing as he comes to all of the sights and sounds of Athens, and I imagine they were Legion, right? The, the Acropolis, the theater of Dionysus. I mean, even still today, Athens would be a beautiful place to go. But underneath all of the sights and sounds of Athens, Paul sees a spiritual reality. Paul sees what undergirds all of that. Beneath all the beautiful marble and stone and wisdom and philosophy, what Paul sees are people far from God. Is that how we look at the world? Are you an observer? Are you willing to be an observer? Can you ask God to make you aware of what's going on in the world around you, to give you that spiritual insight? But what Paul observes also moves him to connect, and that's our second word. Observe, connect. Paul's observations don't move him away from the culture, they move him into it, right? Paul sees a need and he moves to it. And in that way, is he not just like the Lord Jesus? Jesus does not leave us to wallow in our sin, but moves toward us. So Paul, Paul really is just following his, his Lord and Savior here. And much like he has in other places, he begins in the Jews with the, uh, in, the, in the synagogue with the Jews and the Gentile converts, right? He starts there with people who would have understood him, who would have shared his Bible, etc. Much like the local church today, Paul begins there dialoguing with people. But then he also goes out to the marketplace. Uh, and and uh, a good way to think about this, a marketplace in, in Athens would not just have been where you went to buy stuff, right? So this isn't just the shopping mall. Uh, the marketplace would also have been the place where you go to, to discuss ideas, right? In a day without internet or social media or newspapers or even printed books, the agora, the marketplace, is where you went to talk about ideas, right? The, the marketplace is where culture was made. And so it's kind of like um, Wall Street and Main Street and the university all wrapped into one, Right. 
Paul goes there. He goes there uh, to reason with people and to talk about Jesus. So Paul doesn't, uh, which, which is what gets him taken then to the Areopagus, right? Your translation may say Mars Hill. This was kind of like the city council. This is where civic uh, life for the city of Athens was determined. And so th- there couldn't have been a better stage for someone like Paul uh, to go. And so Paul has this opportunity to go there, right? So Paul doesn't run from the culture. Paul does not bury his head in the sand or wring his hands over how lost this city is and, oh, won't somebody do something? No, Paul does something. He goes to engage the very people he seeks to win. He dialogues with them and talks with them. How does he do that? How does Paul engage? Well, he runs into the Areopagus and he says, Hell has no thermostat. Turn or burn. Go to church or the devil will get you. No. He doesn't do that. Because he knows that that wouldn't gain him a hearing at all. Again, he wants to, he wants to gain a hearing, not lose it. No, he goes in... And look at what he says in verse 22. He says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Paul builds a bridge. Paul connects. And he connects at a point that every single one of us have in common. Every single one of us is a worshiper. I mean that Whether you're a devout Christian or a Muslim or agnostic or atheist, whether you want to wear a label, whether you you reject all labels, every single person in this room is built to worship. We, We build our lives around something. There is something at the core of our beings that informs our decisions, that sends us forward in life. Every one of us has something we treasure, some idea of an ultimate good. That's what I mean, and that's what Paul means when he says, I see that you are very religious, because he's, he's striking a chord that every one of us can agree upon, that we all worship something, whether it has a name of a recognized God or not. And if you don't know what that is, if you're wondering, what is it that I worship? What is it that's near and dear to my heart? Here are some questions you can ask yourself. What do I have to have to enjoy life? That if if this were taken away, life would not be worth living. Fill in the blank. I cannot be happy unless what? might be a good way to diagnose your worship. Another question. Uh, where do I spend my time and money most effortlessly? Right? All of us uh, are given treasure and time. Where do we spend those things most effortlessly? That would be a good indication of what it is your heart worships. Or what do I talk or think about the most? When I'm driving by myself in the car, what do I think about? Uh, When I'm laying my head down on the pillow at night, what am I thinking about? Where does my heart go? Or, when do I become most angry? 
And what is it about those people or circumstances or things that give them such power over my heart? That would be a good indication of worship. Or, if you're a Christian, uh, which of God's commands am I most hesitant to obey? Right, all of us uh, will probably, if you're if you're a, if you're a Christian, and maybe even if you're not a Christian, but you admire the person of Jesus, you may look at some things in the Bible and say, "Yes, I agree with that. I can get on board with that." But there's also going to be some things in this book that go, Mm-mm, "Nah, that's going to be too hard." Right, that's a bridge too far. If you want to know what it is you're worshiping, look there. Right, what what commands of God are are you hesitant to obey? What really is a challenge for you? See, answering those questions can kind of lead us down the rabbit hole to what it is our hearts worship. Because as Paul says, we are in every way very religious. So Paul, is, Paul makes this connection point, and then look at what he does next in verse 23. He says, as I passed along and observed the objects, there's that word again, observed, same word that was used in verse 16. As I observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Uh, to the unknown God. It's actually where this, this word is where we get our word agnostic from. It means uh, not knowing. Now, it's, this is interesting. Paul finds an idol dedicated to the unknown God. It's interesting that, that the Athenians, for all of their knowledge could also acknowledge that there was something they didn't know, that there was a limit, that there's a possibility that there might be a God that they hadn't discovered or hadn't heard about. And so, to cover their bases, they make an altar to that God. And Paul uses that, right? That is is Paul's connection point. What Paul is doing is what my, my friend Bebo Elkin used to say, he's looking for manholes, right? Uh, Paul's going around the block, and he's looking for a place that he can climb down in and do a little bit more exploration. And that's what he's found here. He finds a manhole. He finds another point of connection. And he presses on that. He says, you have an altar to an unknown God. Now, what, what Paul has done is he has connected with real people. He has built bridges. He's found a manhole. And it's not to manipulate people. It's not to turn people into projects, but it's to love them with the good news. Because now that Paul has built the bridge, now that he's found the connection point, he crosses it. He goes over the bridge. And that leads us to our third word, call. Observe, connect, call. What is Paul's message to them? Well, he says in verse 23, what you worship as unknown, I can make known to you. The one that you're looking for, I can tell you about him. All of this striving and searching you're doing, I've got the answer, right? Look at his message. He gives it there, his his address to the Areopagus, right? First to the Stoics, he says, God is not part of the world. He is above the world. He is the Lord who made the earth and everything in it. 
He is not man-made. He is not a construct of our minds or a construct of our hands. He doesn't live in our temples. He is the one who gives to us, not we to him. So to those Stoics, to those who would believe that, that God is in everything, he says, not true. God is above everything. The, the, the fancy theological word for that is transcendent. He is above. But then to the Epicureans, he says, but God is not distant and unconcerned. He is close. He is involved. He places people in space and time so that they might seek him and find their way towards him. To all, he says, you are, are fumbling around in the dark. But I have come to point you towards the light. And notice, too, that, that Paul doesn't change his message, but he does adapt his method. Right? Uh, just take a quick look at verses um, uh, 24 through 31. How many times, because uh, we've seen Paul do this a bunch now, we've seen a few sermons in the book of Acts. How many times does Paul quote, quote the Bible? Quote the Old Testament. Not once. Not once. Why? Well, because to these people, the Jewish scriptures would have meant nothing. They were not an authority to them. That would not have been a helpful appeal. That doesn't mean that Paul didn't like the Bible anymore. But he simply wanted to appeal to a different authority, right? Um, if, I were, if I were looking for, if you were looking for an auto mechanic, right, somebody who did a good job for the right price and could get it done relatively quickly, if you were looking for an auto mechanic, would you just walk into neighborhood grill to the first table of strangers you saw and ask them where they get their car fixed? I hope not, right? No, you would ask, I mean, you might, uh, but, but you would be wise to ask someone that you trusted, Right. You would be wise to appeal to someone whom you trusted. And that's what Paul is doing. Paul appeals to their own ideas. He even appeals to their own poets to undergird his point. Now, everything Paul says is biblically true. Paul doesn't say anything that isn't true according to Scripture. God is the creator. God is the sustainer of all humanity. Everyone. Uh, must come to this God, right? That, that he is the true and living God. Everyone is held responsible to him. But what Paul is doing is he, he sees the dots, that uh, the dots of truth that his hearers already have. And he begins to connect those dots. That's what Paul does. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't simply deliver the truth he calls them to believe it. Look at verse 30. He says, the times of ignorance, that word ignorance is the same word uh, where uh, back in verse 23 for the unknown God, to not know. So, so literally, Paul says, the times of not knowing, God has overlooked. In times past, when you could worship the unknown God, God in his kindness and mercy has overlooked that. But no more. The times of not knowing God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere. Who does that cover? Everybody. All people everywhere. No one 
is left out. Everyone must respond. He commands all people everywhere to what? To repent. To turn. Right? Not, this would have been, again, normal in Athenian life. You know, they could have heard Paul and said, oh, good. We can take this God, Paul's God. This guy sounds great. Man, he sounds like he'd be somebody good to have on our side. Let's throw him on the shelf next to Athena. Right? Should we build him an altar? I guess we can use the one down the street, the unknown God. We'll just put a new name on it, something like that, right? No, Paul doesn't say that. Paul says you must turn, right? You must turn away from your idols to the living God. Not add him to your list of idols, but replace all of your idols with him. Why? Because he has set a day in time... Future history, known to him, not known to us, but he has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. Not in partiality, in righteousness. All secrets will be revealed, all injustices will be set right, and the appointed judge will be the man whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus. That's what Paul tells them. And this is what Rico Tyson, the evangelist, calls crossing the pain line. Because when it comes to presenting the gospel, at some point, it's going to hurt. Because the the gospel, Jesus' good news, is not just an idea to be debated. But it's actually a challenge to my heart to be reoriented. It's a call to come away from what I treasure most to trust in Jesus. And that challenges us that unsettles us as you can see it unsettles some of paul's hearers they they reject his message it sounds foolish to them the gospel is not just an idea it demands a response and it's not just an idea but it's an invitation and here's the invitation the unknown god has made himself known in Jesus. He's not a lifeless stone or a piece of marble, but he is a flesh and blood human. And he didn't stay at a distance, but he came near. And he lived the life that you should have lived. And then he died the death that you deserved to die. And then he rose again from the dead so that you could be accepted by God. What other God will do that for you? Who else can rescue like that? Paul's message to the Athenians and our message to Clanton and to the world is that Jesus is better. Trust in him. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we thank you again that you have revealed yourself. That you have not left yourself without a witness. But you have revealed yourself in the person and work of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, now as we come to your table, we pray that as we... 
take simple bread and, and drink simple juice, uh, that you would remind us of the work that you have done, uh, the body and the blood that was shed for us to set us free and to bring us home. Lord, would you implant your word in our hearts and would you use these common elements, bread and juice, uh, that mysterious and spiritual purpose of strengthening, strengthening us to walk with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.